Hi guys, and welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Apologies for the delay. Uh, if I'm being brutally honest, I didn't have much to say about anything in boxing, so you know what they say, if you've got nothing positive to say, don't say anything at all. But now I'm back, and hopefully you guys will appreciate it. I'll try my best to be interesting. I can't guarantee it today, but you know we'll keep it going. So what, what I did want to touch on was you know, the main fight over the weekend, which was Canelo versus Sergei Kovalev. And it was an interesting fight for a number of reasons. Now, when you have a fight like this, it's hard to be predictive about who will win. Because on fight night, actually 80% of the intangibles become obvious. Things that you wouldn't have seen in the build-up to the fight within the first 10 seconds of a fight become abundantly obvious. Now, I was high on Canelo coming into this fight. I looked forward to a number of things. So, those who know me well, and they know my views on boxing, I will always back the guy with the better defense first, because everyone can punch in the sport. Some heavier than others, but everyone can throw punches. It's not everyone that can avoid getting hit. It's not everyone that can maneuver someone's attack and turn it against them. Canelo's one of those rare guys who can do it, and we've seen him do it any number of different ways, which is what makes him more interesting. So go back to the first Golovkin fight, and you had the, the loose and languid Canelo. You had the head movement, you had the slipping, the sliding, the moving. You had a lot of that. You know, he had that, that really clever you know, way of turning his chin away from the Golovkin right hand, which took most of the sting out of the punch. Fast forward to the second fight, and you saw a different kind of defense where he was willing to engage on the inside. So he had to be cuter with his arms. He had to be cuter with his positioning. And so he showed you another way to defend. The Danny Jacobs fight, he gave you another completely different look, more of a hybrid between the two. And then in the Kovalev fight, giving up height and reach, we saw Canelo revert back to what I'd call solid fundamental boxing. Keep your hands up. Use your hands as protection. Use your hands to maneuver the opponent's punches away. Just keep using your hands. Make the target smaller, make the target harder to hit. And he excelled at that. You know, it wasn't the most entertaining of fights, but he showed he had that defense. And where that defense didn't work, he had that Canelo chin. And it's a chin we haven't really seen tested yet. And we might not see tested until he he crests that peak of his and starts to hit the decline. Which is good, because it means, much like Golovkin, it means he can be in entertaining fights, and it means that he can take risks, knowing that his chin's pretty solid and is battle-tested. But that you, you don't get that license forever, so, you know, he's got his defense to fall back on, which is good. But I also have to back the smaller, faster guy, mainly because... You've boxed at lower weight classes. You've seen the punches come quicker. Your boxing clock is a lot quicker than the bigger guys who are, more, who are used to a lower punch output, you know, less of a variety of punches, and definitely less velocity in the punches. So Canelo had a lot of advantages going into this, but that's not to discount Sergei Kovalev. Kovalev has that jab. 
Is it the best jab of the last 20 years? Maybe. It's definitely the most destructive jab we've seen in boxing in the last 20 years. It might not be technically perfect, it might not be amazing, but when his jab connects, it gets a reaction out of people. And him being the taller man, him being the man with the longer reach, it had to be an opportunity for him to exploit. You know, his right hand's underrated as well. Kovalev still carries that power that he has. It's not brutal concussive power, but it's enough of a deterrent that he can calm you down. So he comes into it with a lot of tools. He's not defensively amazing. He uses his jab. His jab is almost his defense because his jab tells you, you can't come forward. Stay exactly where you are, you're going to get hurt. And most people tend to respect that. He has some footwork, obviously from the Eastern European School of Amateur Boxing, but that doesn't last long because obviously he's got stamina issues. So what you have here is, you have a guy who's seen better days, and that's not being disrespectful to Kovalev, he's been through a lot, against a guy at the peak of his powers, moving up, essentially from middleweight to light heavy. He's making that jump Bernard Hopkins style. But he seems to carry most of the advantages. But it didn't play out that way in the fight. The tactics, the, the philosophy of the fight was, can Kovalev nick these rounds? Can Kovalev keep the scoreboard ticking over and force Canelo to get increasingly desperate? And the more desperate Canelo would get, the more Kovalev would pick him off. I don't think Kovalev's a great counterpuncher. So it wasn't like Kovalev was going to set traps for him. It wasn't like Kovalev was trying to draw him in. Kovalev was simply there to keep the scoreboard ticking over till he got to the end of the fight and won. He gambled on, he gambled on one key element. Then he gambled on Canelo tiring. And we talk about this a lot, that Canelo's not the same guy in the second half of a fight as he is in the first half. But he doesn't need to be. Normally, he's so good in the first half of the fight, he can kind of ease back in the second half and then power on towards the end. In this instant, Kovalev didn't let him do that. But what Canelo did was stay disciplined, knowing he was going to connect at some point and ask questions of Kovalev. And ask Kovalev at 36, you know, as you hit your late 30s, do you still want to be in the sport or are you here for a payday? You know? And as I'm watching the fight, Here's the question that cropped into my head. What did Anthony Yard really take out of Kovalev? And I think I said it to people at the time. When Anthony Yard started to turn the pressure on in round 7 and round 8, especially round 8, when he nearly had Kovalev out, nearly had, he nearly ended Kovalev's career in that 8th round. And another 30 seconds, he might have done the job. But Kovalev came back. And he came back like a man possessed. And when you see that, it's normally someone having to go into the well. You're going into your career overdraft. So year after year, fight after fight, you build up an overdraft. You've done the training. You've been to hell and back. You get someone out in two rounds. It's a bit of an overdraft because you haven't had to go to the well. And over the years, the fights get harder. And you have to go to that well. So in the second Ward fight, he had to go to that well. And it took him years to build it up again to where he could go to that well and be successful again. And so in the Yard fight, he goes back to that spiritual well and says, 
I need all of my reserves of courage, will, skill, judgment, timing. I need, for four rounds, I need that old Kovalev back. And the boxing god said, for four rounds, you can have him. Turns out he only needed him for three. But the boxing god said, here, have him. Use him wisely. And he did. And it's only in this fight, once we know the results of this fight, we realise there was nothing left after that. Now, I don't think it's a lifestyle issue. I don't think it's a lack of skill. I don't think he really got old. I think Golden Boy were incredibly smart in scheduling the fight for when they did. The best time to catch someone is immediately after a really tough fight. You know, going from camp to camp, some people think is good because Andy Ruiz obviously talks about the Dimitrenko fight being perfect preparation for the Joshua fight. True. But Andy Ruiz got rid of a very limited Dimitrenko in five rounds. If you go back to the overdraft story, he didn't have to dip into his overdraft. In fact, he probably topped his overdraft up in that fight. So when he went into the Joshua fight and he had to go into that overdraft, there was something there for him because he hadn't used it before. So he can go from camp to camp. But obviously this time he needed more time because he had to replenish the overdraft. He had to get himself back right physically and mentally. He had to go and enjoy himself, become Andy Ruiz again. And we'll see in December if he has to go to the well what's left. Kovalev had what, less than 10 weeks? So you fight Anthony Yard, you go to hell and back. That's the kind of fight that I reckon takes two and a half to three weeks to recover from spiritually and physically. So that leaves him six to seven weeks to prepare for Canelo. And as Canelo's throwing these shots round after round, counter left hooks, right uppercuts, trying to shovel the body, trying to do this, trying to do that, it's all taking it out of Kovalev. And Kovalev realizes in this fight, you know, even if he doesn't let it on, he knows he hasn't had enough time to recover. He doesn't feel fresh. There's no pop in the punch. There's no power. There's none of that old Kovalev menace. He's at that point where he's like, I just want to get out, get my money and get out of this fight. And so that's the nagging suspicion in this fight that the yard fight's taken so much out of him he hasn't had time to recover. And that's risky. Because at 36, you need that recovery time. The body just doesn't respond the same way. And so round after round, it looked like, you know, it looked to people like Kovalev was winning, but actually a lot of those punches were just hitting forearms and hitting elbows and it wasn't clean and it wasn't the old Kovalev. And the judges are looking going, you're boxing like an old man. And secondly, you're boxing like you're just trying to nick these rounds. Canelo was throwing the harder punches. He was forcing the fight. He was doing all the things that Golovkin fans love about Golovkin and give him credit for. But in the Twitter sphere, they weren't giving Canelo credit for these things. But by the 11th round, you can see the tiredness. And everyone knows when Kovalev gets tired, he gets ragged. The arms drop. The head starts to lean forward. You know, the core strength and stability starts to diminish. And then it was a right hand that seemed to go over the top, you know, disrupt his equilibrium or hit him on the temple. And that set the tone for the left hook and the straight right that finished him. The ref did the right thing by stopping that immediately because it took Kovalev at least four seconds to even try and get his arm off the rope. 
Never mind try and get up. So I think the ref did exactly the right thing. And that is why you want experienced referees. And that's why Jeffrey on Twitter can't be a referee. Because you need hundreds of fights. Tens, maybe hundreds of stoppages. Before you know how boxers react when they get hit. And he made the right call at the right time. And I really respect that stoppage. But then it leaves us saying, well, Canelo beats a, a broken Kovalev. Yes, he did. But remember, this guy came up from middleweight. And he'll likely go back down to middleweight. And Kovalev's a big, light heavyweight. You know, he can go up to 14 stone between fights. So he's a, bi- he's a big man in general. So you have, to give, you have to give Canelo his due. You have to give Canelo his credit. For being the guy that stepped up. We talk about pound for pound all the time. But on that list there are a lot of guys that never stepped up. So for being realistic it's probably him and Terence Crawford. Among the best where you say well Crawford went 135, 140, 147. You can question the guys he fought at 135 and the guys he fought at 140. And even the guys at 147. But you can't question the fact that this guy's gone up and been a threat. At every weight class. And Canelo's of that same ilk. Now we're looking for Spence to do that. We've been looking for Golovkin to do that for five years. Nothing. So Canelo now has to sit atop that pound for pound tree. Because he's gone up what? 21 pounds? And there's no filler in that record. He's going up 21 pounds against people who will be in the Hall of Fame. People that he wasn't supposed to win against. And he has done it. And now we really have to respect what Canelo's achieved. And we have to call him a future great. Present great, in fact. That's as far as I'd go. But sadly, as is often the case with boxing Twitter, no one can let a fighter be great without having to throw their, their quite... It's, it's sad, and it's sad, it's sad when people do this. It's sad when people who have more than two brain cells together start talking in terms of, I need to discredit what Canelo does. Because I'm just not a fan, therefore if I'm not a fan, he can't be any good. Wholly illogical, incredibly selfish and very ignorant. But fans will be fans, I guess. So then immediately the talk starts coming of, well, what would Canelo do against Ward? Ward Ward should come out of retirement to beat him. You know, there's no winning in this game, is there? At 154, they said, go and fight Golovkin. Then they said, right. Go and fight someone bigger. Go and fight someone like Kovalev. Go and fight Bivol. Now we're hearing, go and fight Baturbiev. Should he fight Baturbiev? Not from my perspective. And here's why. Baturbiev isn't like Kovalev. Kovalev is limited on the inside. Kovalev is limited as a counterpuncher. And Kovalev's powers dials down from his peak. But Turby is real. That power is not a joke. What he's able to do is not a myth. And he can do it trying. He can do it not trying. He can just hurt you round after round. And even if you do beat him, take years off you. Your career will never be the same after that. And much like Kovlev, Baturbiev is a big man. Baturbiev was a guy that fought at heavyweight as an amateur. Boiling down. 
So you wouldn't want him. If you have any compassion, if you have any intelligence, if you really respect the sports of boxing, you wouldn't call for a fight like that. That's what that that's a that's a fight you'd call for when you just hate somebody. In the same way that people would say, why doesn't Floyd Mayweather fight Andre Ward? They're not saying it because it's a great fight to see. They're saying it because they hate Floyd Mayweather. And they said the same thing with Ward. Why don't you go and fight? Why don't you fight Usyk? Not because they want to see the spectacle, because they hate Ward. And this is the issue with boxing fans. Your boxing fans are incredibly toxic people because most people who follow boxing are guys who can't fight. And because they can't fight, they don't understand what it takes to fight. And they don't understand that sometimes they're just people you can't beat because Mother Nature hasn't given you the things you need to do that. That's why we have weight classes. And I wish fans would respect that. And I think fat, say that again. Fans should be more sympathetic to what boxers put on the line in order to achieve what they achieve. So back to would Canelo beat Ward? Absolutely not. Ward left boxing as the best 175-pound fighter by some distance. Even before the second Kovalev fight, he had done all he needed to do. The second Kovalev fight was the exclamation mark. This is the guy that dealt with guys like Chad Dawson, Carl Froch, Arthur Abraham, all at their peak. These weren't old men. And remember who Chad Dawson was before people really start hating. Remember who Chad Dawson was. A man that had two wins over Tarver and Glenn Johnson each. A win over Bernard Hopkins. A more disciplined, a more focused Chad Dawson walks into the Hall of Fame. Ward dealt with him like he was a child. Yeah, dealt with him like he was a child. So when I look at it and I go, what could Canelo bring to Ward that he's not ready for? Maybe a bit of hand speed, but you don't get past the wall jab. You can't bully Ward on the inside. You're not going to outthink him. You're not going to be able to bully him about physically. The only person that you can think of who could give Ward trouble, the only person where you'd go, I don't think Ward would dominate the fight, is probably Baturbiev. That doesn't mean he loses. It just means... That will be a competitive fight because Baturbiev can work on the inside too. But I find, I just think Ward finds a way. If Callum Johnson can drop Baturbiev, Andre Ward can definitely drop Baturbiev. And he can find ways to break him down. That's what makes Andre Ward a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's why we don't need to talk about Canelo in the same breath as Andre Ward at 175. Career-wise, yeah, you want to start putting guys on the Mount Rushmore or whatever you want to create, they're in the discussion. Not Golovkin, God no. Those guys are in the discussion. And that's what made this fight compelling is that we saw Canelo step up in a way that people didn't believe he could do. But it would be amiss of me not to talk about the elephant in the room. Did he do it clean? We don't know. But I feel from this point on Canelo's record, his legacy is now tainted by that positive drugs test. And I think it's the right thing to do because there are legitimately questions to ask and go, well, how clean is this guy? We won't know. 
He can commit to testing for as long as he wants. He's going to have that nagging doubt around him. So I don't know how we enjoy this as boxing fans. I really don't. What I do know is he's no more dirty than all the other people at this game. Make of that what you will. And I, I think it's all bullshit with talking about the glove sizes, the rounds, uh, talking about medicals. We do all the medicals already. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Stop the steroids and everything else will dwindle. Stop the steroids and everything else will dwindle. But in happier news this weekend sees us all tune in to KSI versus Logan Paul. A fight none of us really care about. Uh, whether you're a boxing fan or not a boxing fan. I think anyone over the age of 15 has zero interest in this. And I am bored of hearing the argument, this will bring more eyes to the sport of boxing. No, it won't. Is the exact same reason why we never talked about Tyson Fury doing crown jewel for the WWE would bring more eyes to boxing. WWE fans are wrestling fans. If they're already boxing fans, you're not going to shift them. If they're not boxing fans, you're not going to shift them. Same thing with these YouTubers. Seeing KSI and Logan Paul box, don't give two shits. They just want to know who wins. There are a lot of kids that probably won't even watch this. They'll just wake up and go, who won? Oh, KSI won. My guy won. Yay. No one particularly cares. Now, I'm not going to knock these guys for what they're doing. Like I said, we have Soccer Aid, where we have these gimmick friendlies between old legends, celebrities, and whatever. And we enjoy these things because there's a point to them. It's just a chance to see people we see in other contexts just shift it up for a bit and be different. But this time next week, we're not going to talk about it. So it's probably best that I don't. There are probably loads of things I could talk about. I might say them for another podcast. But I did, I wanted to touch on this. And I've heard part of it, haven't heard all of it, but I just want to react to this after I play it. Um, I'm really sitting on the fence of it. I mean... As are many people. They, 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 they don't. They, he hasn't shown a lot. He hasn't. I mean, I know he's taken on a guy called Angel Fernandez, was it? Um, who's been working with uh, Isaac Chamberlain and stuff like that. So he's taken on a Padman. That could be a benefit to him. It also could massively work against him because you're because you're changing. Uh, well, there's there's two voices, and you know if 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 McCracken's in there, and he's trying to stand on the outside and, and give him instructions but uh, the way Angel's teaching him is to, to drop his height and fight a certain, a certain way. Whose idea it, would that have been do you think? Um, I, think it was, I think it was AJ's. I think you know, he, he, was, he was bringing, you know. He, he said he wants to make changes. He wanted to make changes. I mean they haven't made it public but that, that, is, that, that is what I, you know, I, I know mm. is, is the case and, um, and then it depends how much Ruiz wants it. You know, he's got a big... He's got. A so that's really interesting. The main thing I take issue with is to call Angel Fernandez a Padman. Now, whatever the role he has in that camp, yes, he's not head trainer because that's Rob McCracken, but he's a coach. And I think from one boxing trainer to another, there should always be this thing that says, I respect you enough to call you what you are. So, no, I think Shane's a good guy, but I think that's a way to bury someone before they've even come up. Angel's a lot more than that because he trains Isaac Chamberlain. He trains a guy who's at a reasonable level. 
and Isaac fights in the Cat Skills, I think at the end of this month. And so we'll get to see some more of that work. Angel's been brought in to give something different to the camp. If he was there to just be a Padman, I don't think he'd have lasted that long. So I think he's there to give some input on how to get more out of Anthony Joshua. My own view is it's too soon for him to make an impact. I think when you get a new trainer in and for him to earn credibility, to have a voice, I think, I think it'll take at least a year or so. So I don't expect to see much. Uh, I don't think it was desperation either. I think it was the right thing to do. Shane, hmm. You know, Shane's a guy who's been disrespected where they just said, look, you've got as far as you have because your dad's Barry McGuigan. So I'd like to see him just boost up what other coaches are doing. I I admire Angel Sasson. I like the fact that Angel put himself on the line. And other people asked, other people considered, he's the guy that they chose. And we'll find out December 7th if he's been allowed to add the value. My one fear is he becomes the scapegoat if Joshua loses again. And he doesn't deserve that. Because if you gave Angel Fernandez Anthony Joshua for a year, he'd box differently. Would it be better? Would it be worse? We don't know. But it'd be a different philosophy. So we'll see how it goes. But in terms of that Joshua camp, it's been really interesting because you see the sparring partners they've had. They've had the... The guy, Motum, I think the, the American guy. They've had Tabiti in this week and they've had Chisora in this week. And it's almost like they're trying to tell the world we're taking this more seriously than we've taken any other fight. So I almost asked the question, why have we never seen this degree of exposure and openness about Joshua's sparring partners before? Why was it always secretive? You know, why were these guys always coming in undercover? We weren't seeing them. They weren't doing anything else. But now suddenly they're very high profile. I have no idea about that. My, my own view is this has been a better Anthony Joshua. I don't know if it's because he's lost, but this has been a more likable Josh. This has been a more likable guy of the limited time we've seen him. And a less corporate guy. And maybe freeing up the shackles will free him up in the fight. I think the rematch has come too soon for that. But, you know, doesn't mean he's out of this fight. But just looking at his sparring partners, are any of them really Andy Ruiz? God, no. And you have to remember, Ruiz has fought guys like Joshua his whole career. There's nothing Anthony Joshua can do that's going to surprise Ruiz. So the guy that has to make all the fundamental adjustments is Joshua. Ruiz just has to have three or four different approaches he can take to Anthony Joshua. And then just move seamlessly between them as he goes on. That will make the fight really interesting because it becomes a tactical battle. Will, will Anthony Joshua try and run around the perimeter of the ring flicking out the jab and the one-two? He can't do that forever because Ruiz can shut the ring down forever. So at some point you're going to have to stand and fight. And at that point, are the chin issues resolved? Are the body issues resolved? Has he got it in him to see this through 12 rounds when it gets messy and it gets disgusting? Does he really want to box that much that he's prepared to do this? I don't know. I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. But I do want him to improve because I'm a pro-Angel Fernandez guy. And I want, to, I want to see Angel's had an impact. And I want people to shine light on what Angel does so Angel can have his own gym. And Angel can then elevate his own game too. 
like McCracken got a chance to do, like Shane McGuigan got a chance to do. You know, Angel's one of the good guys in the sport. So I'm definitely backing him. But having seen the sparring partners, I'm surprised they didn't go with Joey Dueco. That would have been the perfect way to say, I've put all my demons to rest. And he might still come in for camp. I hope he does. Because I think he gives a better quality of work. You know, I saw what that Motum does. He's very basic and he, he's not very intelligent as a boxer. And you, he won't go very far. Whereas Dueco had it in him, but now he's being jerked around by Matchroom. So that Matchroom hush money doesn't quite work out, you know, when your fights don't come through. And he's paid a heavy price of being loyal to the system. But look, December 7th will tell us more. What, what are we now? Four weeks away from that? And so we're going to find out, you know, what was it Warren Buffett said? It's when the tide comes out when you find out who's been, who's been swimming naked. So let's see. I'm looking forward to it now. Ruiz looks trim. Joshua looks a lot trimmer, judging by the picture he had with Derek Chisora. So this might be a more tactical battle. But like I said before, it's the body shots that worry me more than the head shots. So if Ruiz can get to the body, I think he'll get to the head. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. But one thing's for absolute certain. If Joshua were to lose badly again, that's the end of McCracken as a pro trainer for me. That's the end of that EIS as an elite venue for pros to train at. And it's a reminder that there's a reason why people go to places where the magic's happened before. You know, there's a reason why you go and train at the Peacock. There's a reason why you go and train at all these gyms. Because there's a legacy of excellence there. A legacy of hurt and suffering. That EIS is too sanitized for that. That's always been my view and will remain my view. But look, I'm inside my 30-minute limit. So guys, have a fantastic day as always. Please leave a review. Please share. Let's try and get the likes and retweets comfortably into double figures this time, guys. So let's really push it. I know how many people actually listen to this. And if everyone who listened to this liked, shared, and retweeted it, like the reach would, would increase exponentially. So please just show that love and share that support and have a fantastic day.